Okay, here we go. Broadcasting live, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. With your hosts, Honest Abe and Adam K. the Brewmeister. Listen to the show anywhere in the free world at kmatalkradio.com. I like to smoke them like some Winston Good morning, loyal listeners, libertarians, lovers of belief, everyone out there in Radio Land. Welcome to another exciting edition of KMA Talk Radio, broadcasting live on this, the 8th of February, where we're not expecting six more weeks of winter, thanks to Punxsutawney Phil, uh, in this lovely West Palm Beach, Florida. I am Adam K., the brewmeister. With me, of course, Mr. Honest Abe. Good morning. Paul, the producer. I'm back. Hello, Paul. Did you miss me? Were you no. Gone? Yeah, I was... All right. You know what? That's offensive. I need a little more volume in here. One moment. We can we can give you more volume. Thank you, sir. <laughs> we most appreciate I don't know if that was mine. I don't think that was mine. <laughs> He's playing the group line. I don't think either one of you guys have found my knob yet. Oh, no. I wasn't, tr- I wasn't trying going, to find your knob. Keep going until you find my knob, Ad. That's my knob, Ad. I got you, knob, Abe. He found my knob. That's the same knob that I've been touching before. It just yeah. wasn't enough for you. There you go. And uh, sitting in the studio with us, uh, all the way from the hills of the Carolinas, Mr. William Cooper is back with us. Coop. Good, good morning, guys. What's Slum- happening? Slumming it. Yeah. You're like in a sweatshirt, like, you're like, a, like a pregnant He's freezing. housewife. I-, I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I was. it was cold. I-, I came up from Miami. It was actually cold last night. <laughs> Are, don't you guys get winter? We do. How not, can it be cold here for you? Um, you know when you you know I, when you have the air conditioner cranked up a bit. Come on, <laughs> he wasn't prepared to I was, uh, experience the cold been weather. Eating like you've been getting ready to go for hibernation. I uh, know it's true. <laughs> the BNS. Oh boy. Jeez. I don't mean to to. I mean it's awesome to have Coop here, but it's kind of funny to me that last week you had three beautiful women in here and I wasn't here. It was and, perfect actually. Mm-hmm. And now you know I got. Coop. Thanks. <laughs> well, were you at a wedding last week? <laughs> no, no the even worse. He, he had a, a, a baby moon. I was on a baby moon. A baby moon? Coop, yeah. did you ever go on a baby moon with any of, your kid, for any of your kids? What is a baby moon? Like a honeymoon for babies? When you're pregnant. Before you have the baby, you go for one last hurrah. So, like... so your wife is uncomfortable. Right. She can't drink. Mm-hmm. She's irritable. And let's go on a vacation together. Sounds like fun. It was her idea. And, and, and they took the baby. Yes. The first baby. They took the, the one and a half year We old. did yeah. take the one and a half. Oh like this, this was such a nice idea. Sounds it was like a nice. great vacation to me. I'm so Wait, glad. Where does this, this stuff come up with that he comes up with? I, I've never. Probably Pinterest. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I've never heard of this stuff. How about, how about Push Gift? Yeah, we do that. Push uh, we know you do that, dude. <laughs> what is Push Gift? Exactly. How old are you? Fifty-two. So we're, I guess we're from the same yeah. era. Yeah. A push gift. I guess you have to buy her a gift for pushing out. Yeah. I pushed in. I got nothing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what the heck? I pushed in. I got a nothing. A push gift. <laughs> yeah. She gets a piece of jewelry or something. What? For, for... <laughs> Vivacious. This is some. This is some true shit, by the way. Is this, is this a stuff that's just being made up? He's. Uh, well, I mean, somebody made it up along the way. Pretty sure. A woman. And, and so, Cartier. Oh, yeah. right. And. and, and but you know, oh, was some, this developed by the Hallmark Channel? I don't know, but some people just ate it up. Oh my and goodness! Then now, traditionally, I think the baby moon is supposed to be like on the first baby. It, we did that too. 
Oh, I, we know, Paul. He took a second baby moon. We are aware. It was just a, a nice little vacation to the Keys. Listen, between, it was, between, you know, we picked up a rat, by the way. My my wife's oh. car, there was a rat in the engine that, like, because it was so cold there, it was 35 degrees one night. When we got home, I smelled something in the car, and I opened up the hood of her car, and I looked down, and, like, sitting behind the fan was a dead rat. Nice. From, from the was Isla Mirada. Was that the push gift? <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying. I mean, it is the year of the rat, by the way. It I mean, is the year of the rat. I mean, yeah. listen, between push gifts and baby moons, I'd never have kids. Yeah, it's a lot of it's money. It's like an incentive not to get your wife pregnant. And what was it, the daddy boot camp? I didn't go to the daddy boot Hold camp, on. though. <laughs> I, it was canceled. Don't, yeah, don't it was bullshit. canceled. Don't bullshit our audience. You signed up. You paid <laughs> money. You scheduled time off for KMA to go. On a baby boot camp. I did. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Just because no other fathers did you get were a, dumb enough to show up, did you get a refund? You were there and they canceled it. Don't act like you didn't like do it. <sighs> did you get a refund? Yeah, and they sent me the textbook anyway. Uh, <laughs> they sent me wait, two of wait, them wait, actually. Wait, hold, wait, hold was, on, hold it on. It was two pages long. <laughs> no <laughs> way. It's like 150 pages. Did you actually read them? Sure, you did. Is my wife listening? Yes. Yes, I read them. Okay, and your wife's not listening. Probably not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Score one for the brewmeister. Why is my why are my personal details so because, enthralling? Because to you? as odd as you yeah. find his single life, I find your married a- life. A- Abe, and I have, Abe and I have eight children between us and we've never gone through any of this stuff, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think there's a I, no. how many diapers have you changed in your in your fatherhood? A lot. I'll, okay. I, and I, no one taught me how to do it. It was just instinct. Exactly. How many diapers have you changed, Abe? Between the four kids, maybe four. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I changed okay, four okay, or five diapers okay, a day. Okay, just so you know, I wasn't home 120 hours a week, dude. Neither am I. Bullshit. I, I work at least 60 hours a week. Dude, I didn't go home and go to bed two or three nights a week when I was building my shops. What are, you, are you nuts? I'm not judging you. I'm just saying no, I'm it's, just a, say- different, it's I, a different I, I, situation. I, I, I'm just saying it's not like, oh, the baby poop. Here, change. I just wasn't there. There were times where my wife was sleeping or wasn't available. I changed when those. See, I feel like up, maybe you were there, and like you know, your mother-in-law was there, your sister-in-law was there, your like somebody was there to do it. I mean, look, and, which that, is nice. I'm not. If, if I'm that, not bashing you. If, I wish no, no, I had that. If that's what naturally happened. It happened, but like it wouldn't be like you know, my wife was in bed sleeping, and the baby needs and you changes. woke her up. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hung the baby over her head and said, "Wake up, baby! Baby needs changes." There's a duty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but it just happened. But you know, I mean, I mean, I just didn't change a lot of diapers. I didn't need to read a manual to do it. All right. Well, I, I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I can tell you on the re- Pampers box how to do it. By the way. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure there is a warning label on how to properly do that, and how probably not to do that. It, there's pro- there's a lot of warning labels on kids' things today. Like every, everybody's covering their ass. They're like, "Don't put the diaper over the baby's head and suffocate it to death." I'm like, "Really? You have to tell people I, I, this?" I really believe Pretty that. Much. Yeah. <laughs> Super Bowl. Yeah. What'd you Good think, game. Too? Great game. Yeah. Great game. Are you happy with the outcome? Um. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked Andy Reid. And, who doesn't? Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? Right. He really. If you don't like, very likable guy. Problem, yeah. Right. I mean, I lived in the Phil. I wasn't an Eagles fan, but I lived in the Philly area, and and uh, it was good to see him win. I thought, you know, it was it was. There were two teams that were very likable this year. There wasn't like the, the hated right, team in there, right? Right. Like the Patriots. Yeah. And the <laughs> yeah. But it was good to see the most winningest coach in the NFL finally win a Super Bowl. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. The most and winningest 50, coach without a Super Bowl. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. That's what that statement kind of is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, fifty years too without a championship. <laughs> sure. So exactly. Yeah, they won City. Super Bowl four. I think it was yeah. literally. So it was exactly fifty years. Yeah. Good for Kansas City. Good. Yep. I thought it was a good game. Shakira or J Lo. 
Uh, I'm still going J-Lo. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So did I mean, we had this argument yesterday. I, we had this argument yesterday, but so far Paul can't find anybody to yeah. side with him. Juan. Juan who? Which one? Juan, Juan can't ship? Well, literally, Juan who? Yeah, by Juan who. <laughs> Juan did you who? see that episode? Yeah. <laughs> who was that that said that? What, it was on some show? It was, no, it was here. Lou. Yeah, yeah. It was Lou. Oh, oh it was Lou, Lou Juan Rodman. who? Yeah. You, you were talking about Juan, Juan and he's like, Juan, Juan who? who? All, all, all he was doing was posting these uh, these GIF files of Shakira. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. Juan, she looks good, man. Juan on Facebook has complete dialogues with himself. Oh, he does. Like, he'll start a statement, then answer it, and yeah. ask something about it, and, yeah. and there'll, there'll be 10 posts in a row where no one's interacted with him, but he's had a whole conversation with yeah, him. Yeah, when you're commenting on your own comments, there's a problem. Pretty much. Good times. Uh, our, our, just so you know, I don't know if you know what this light means, our, our special guest is also on the yeah, phone. Yeah, good, because I don't want to think I'm actually excited to have mm-hmm. Arthur Zaretsky, uh, Famous Cigars, here. I, uh, you know, Famous I know, Smoke. Famous Smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I know a lot of people in the industry. I've been in the industry a long time, but Arthur is one of these guys I really never had the opportunity to sit and meet and get to know personally. Have like, you seen, like, met him in person before, like, I, in I, passing? I think, I think we were in a room once down at Padrone when we were raising money for Kendrick Meeks. Um, I think that was during the whole S-chip debacle. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure we probably have crossed paths here and there, but never, I don't have the relationship like I had, like I've been friends with Lou for right, a long time. Right. So when, when he posted that he was, he listened to the show and liked it a lot, I'm like, oh, love to have him on. Yeah. So, um, I'm looking forward to it because I have both his letters he's written to the industry and, uh, want to chat you know, about those, chat about them, dig a little bit deeper into them. So it's kind of pretty cool to have him on for the first time. First time guest on Kenway Talk uh, Radio. Yeah. So, uh, should we bring him in? Yeah. yeah. Let's now please welcome uh, Arthur Zaretsky of Famous Smoke Shop. Uh, Arthur, welcome to KMA Talk Radio, and thank you for being here thank today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, Arthur, a lot of people might not know, but your parents started Famous Smoke Shop in New York City in 1939. Now, just to give a little background, what made your parents want to go into the cigar business? Well, back back then, the, the, it wasn't really a cigar business. It was more like a candy store business, and cigars was just part of it. And a, a lot of Jewish people in New York City went into the candy store business because it was stable. Cigarettes were stable. People needed sodas. They needed drinks. Uh, they needed a daily newspaper. Um, it, it's just kind of like later on the Koreans came to New York and started doing salad bars because people needed to eat it was a stable profitable business and um, that's why they went into it and they had a good location right Arthur they were on Broadway um, well um, that wasn't the first location oh okay the the, the the first location that I know about was in Upper Manhattan in Washington Heights okay um, it was on 181st Street in St. Nicholas Avenue. Though my father goes back um, in in the cigar business or cigarette business way before that, he had a he had a store near near 125th Street. Uh, actually, it was like five blocks away from Lou Rothman's father's store. <laughs> um, so the rivalry started before I was born. <laughs> I'm just curious because I really don't know the answer. Do you and Lou have a relationship? Have you guys, you know, um, or is we, there... we have a, we have a relationship like uh, like the Israelis and the Arabs. Oh wow! Um, okay, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. So it's a real yeah. Hats, it's a real Hatfields and McCoy story. Yes. Yes. Wow. I mean, we um, we uh, were five blocks apart. 
in New York City, um, where when I got into the business um, in a, in a three hundred and fifty square foot store. Wow. When you got in the business, was it still kind of the you know you know uh, you know a convenience or ten cent store? Or was it more of a was it developing into what you know the, the traditional cigar shop eventually became? Well, it was way before there was a traditional cigar store. I mean, the the only traditional cigar store around, I would say, at that time, um, was Nat Sherman, and he was uh, like two blocks away from where where I was. Um, but his clientele and my clientele um, were boats passing in the, in the night. Um, <laughs> so um, the <clears throat> there, there was no such concept as uh, a premium cigar. Um, I think the most expensive cigar back then was about a dollar retail, which meant about seventy five percent selling price, seventy five cent selling price. Um, you know, it was a Macanudo. The, the first premium cigar ever to come out was the Playads, um, and that was three dollars a cigar. And everybody thought they're crazy. <laughs> uh, there's, no, there's, there's, I mean, I, I still have a scrapbook uh, that that shows what prices were in the seventies um, when when we were advertising um, in the Wall Street Journal and, and various magazines. And we were selling a box of Macanudo Rothschilds for like eighteen seventy-five a box. <laughs> now it, it says here in nineteen seventy you published your first mail order catalog, and that's uh, I think approximately the time when you started working. In no, nineteen actually nineteen seventy-two. Nineteen seventy-two. Wow, the year I was born. Wow. <laughs> um, and you started. Yeah, we 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 published that. Um, there was a there was a typewriter um, called the IBM Selectric Composer. <laughs> you, uh, you probably don't you probably don't know what that is, but <laughs> it, it was it was a typewriter with a ball, and it actually produced um, a a non typewriter type font. It looked it looked like printing, and that that was the first four page black and white. Basically, a price list that we came out with in 1972. So, I, I have to ask Arthur, what compelled you guys to start a catalog in 1972? What brought was what, was that your idea specifically? Because yeah, you had just started, I think, a couple years before that, started yeah. working in the family. Yeah, business. what said like, well, hey, let's get a catalog going. The, 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 well, uh, it was an interesting, interesting story how I got started with 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 the catalog business. Um, we we had a uh, a, a, an architect um, who did a lot of work in in cigar stores. His name was Jack Perlman, and um, he was a very formal guy. And I was a very informal street kid from the Bronx, um, and I never gave him proper respect. And um, <clears throat> one one day he came into my store, and we were engaged in a conversation. And he said to me, do you see what your competition is doing up the street? Well, that was Lou, five blocks away. And he said, but you're too stupid to do that. And that was, <laughs> that was like, that night I ran down to Barnes & Noble, which was on 18th Street, and I, and I started buying books on mail order. And uh, I said, I, I got to do this. 
um, A, because my competition is doing it, and B, because he called me stupid. Um, so that was the beginning, um, and uh, the book that I started with was <clears throat> by, by a guy named Julian Simon, how to, how to start and operate a mail-order business. And in the beginning, I had no idea how to do this, and I just had to learn little by little um, and began collecting names when customers would <clears throat> say to me, I'm moving to Florida, I'm retiring, um, and I would give me, give me your name and address, and uh, that's, I just put them on uh, Cheshire cards, and that's how it got started. Just per chance, I don't know if you know the answer, can you remember early on basically how many of these catalogs you guys were sending out? In the beginning, maybe maybe two thousand catalogs, three thousand catalogs. And I mean, I don't know if you want to say, but roughly, where where is famous smoke today as far as shipping out catalogs? Um, well, I don't want to give exact numbers, yeah. but um, the, the well, catalog the catalog business has has morphed into uh, a very different uh, business than than it was. Um, and we we have found that uh, the catalog itself is no longer as an important a vehicle um, for the customer as it was when we started. Well, that um, that was my other question. I'm sure at some point the web, but at, at, at a peak time, what do you think any one of these major guys is? Whether it's cigars or not, what kind of numbers of you think volume of they're sending out of a catalog? Are we at a half a million, hundreds of thousands? Um, if you're talking about, let's say, Cigars International, um, I would say, if you're talking annual, I would say in the millions. Compared um, to a couple thousand. I mean, that's and, yeah. I mean, each of us, you know, that do still send out catalogs, which is myself, uh, Holtz, occasionally Best Cigar Prices, uh, JR and CI, um, we, we all have to do... Uh, strict uh, mathematical analysis to to see um, how well um, the catalogs are paying off, and and it, it's kind it's kind of hard to exactly know what a catalog is producing. Whereas before the internet, which we we started in 1997, um, it was it was what I call the closed loop system. Basically, we sent out an advertisement or a catalog, and somebody would raise their hand and say, I got your catalog, or I saw your ad, and we would know exactly what um, that particular medium or catalog was doing. As time went by, subsequent to 1997, it became more and more difficult to understand is is the customer that just placed an order responding to our catalog or is it responding to our website or an email or even walking through so, the door after reading something in your catalog yeah you, the I mean, touch, you never oh, yeah. you can't always pinpoint the touches in this type of business uh, arthur i have right to, so, arthur, yes. I, yeah i have to ask so what was the biggest lesson you learned early on when you started the catalog what was the biggest lesson 
Um, or the biggest mistake you made that you didn't realize that you had to correct. Let me think about that one. We can come back to it. We'll come back. <laughs> I, I you mean, think that, about there it. was no, there was no major lesson or major mistake. It, it was actually very, very exciting. Uh, I, um, you know, after working behind the counter day and night in the garment center, um, which was a very rough clientele, um, I more enjoyed the quiet of being able to to write copy for the catalog and and merchandise the catalog and and realize that what Jack Perlman said was 100% true in that if I lost my lease in New York City I would still have the catalog business and, and that's exactly what happened I did lose my lease um, so the the whole catalog business was you know, a, a learning curve. It was fascinating. It was fun. I, I till till this day, I still in, we still get actually still get mail orders. People send in checks. Do they really still to this day? That's funny. Um, and I still enjoy opening the mail and seeing names that have been buying for me. You know, for twenty five, thirty years. Um, I never got tired of like, hey, another check just came in the mail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, 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 the train of thought I was working towards there is, in your opinion, is there still a need for the existence of a catalog today? Or do you feel it's just being done because no one wants to be the guy to stop doing their catalog? Right, it's always been done. Yeah. It's a tradition. I, I, think, I think it's a combination of of both. I mean, we've done a lot of uh, catalog testing, and we've reduced our circulation significantly um, by, by doing testing of various, various demographic groups and various groups that we know are buying um, only on the Internet. Um, and we've reduced our circulation dramatically with no increase with no decrease, sorry, in uh, in in the sales uh, for us. So, will the catalog go away someday? Um, I think it may. Um, I, I I don't think the catalog has more than a. Uh, I'm going to say at the outside a ten year a ten year lifespan. Uh, the catalog has become more of a instrument of hey we're still here um a, a reminder an informational type of of uh magalog uh, rather than uh people um magalog. going through the catalog like, and, like and a actually like a waiting for the, the website. i mean I, I used to be a catalog freak and i, w I would was on like 50 mailing lists and i, I would my mailbox would be full and I just enjoyed seeing what other people were doing. It was another way for me to get ideas, to learn about um, you know more innovative uh, companies and what what they were doing. Um, now I maybe get two or three catalogs that I still 
find interesting to get. Um, I didn't even know, you know people one were still making catalogs outside of yeah, the industry. I, I mean, some of the biggest ones are gone. Sears and... Ikea still does one. Ikea still does a catalog. Um, I think Sharper Image, because now they're only online, they still do some kind of a catalog. But like Sharper once Image a year, doesn't have retail stores anymore? No, they've been closed for didn't a couple of years that. now. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm an audiophile, and I still get some audio catalogs like Music Direct and Audio Advisor. Oh, wow. and I, I didn't know I, those I were still there. Wow. Yeah, they're still they're still there, um, but audio audio stores are, are going away basically because of the internet as well. Oh. Uh, even, even though they talk about the the uh, vinyl is coming back, it's not really coming back. Right, not no. enough to sustain a retail. Shops. It's funny because it just entered my thought talking about stuff that went away. How many times have any of you guys been in a Columbia house? Uh, do you remember Columbia? Wow. Yeah, when I was a kid, my dad that, used to let oh, yeah. me pick I one a month. How many times? How many times did you do it? I think I did it like two or three times. Well, you get a life. catalog for that, too. Mm-hmm. And that catalog right. well, you, or, And then you got the stamps. The stamps and, that yeah, you take off. Yep. It's all gone. I have, yeah. So, you know, the, one, <laughs> of the, one of the things that, that makes uh, Famous stand out in the business, I think, is the is the advertising and marketing end. And, Arthur, you were quoted, and, and I want to give credit, and I can't remember, especially since I have somebody from the press here, but... Uh, in one of the interviews that you gave, you were quoted as saying something to the effect of, um, and I'm paraphrasing, that that Famous is really a marketing company that happens to sell cigars. Would you would you touch on that? At what at what point did you did you realize that that's that your main goal was marketing? Um, well, I mean, I was always interested in 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 technology um, from the beginning. Um, I I remember the the phone call and and the day that um, I decided that we needed a website, um, and and uh, over time I just realized like we we are a company that analyzes data. Mm-hmm. We process data. Of course, you know we have to do all the things for a customer to treat the customer. Um, correctly, uh, to treat him with respect, um, to to give him merchandise that they want and and at prices that they can live with. Uh, all of, you know, keeping inventory correctly. All those things need to be done. But you know, we're really gathering demographic data on 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 customers, mm-hmm. um, and um, we can we we could leverage that database and, and so do the same thing that we're doing now build an, build another website for let's say CBD mm-hmm. um, uh, and see if there's any crossover uh, in fact we we tried that um, a while back about two and a half years ago with uh, with vape and, and what we did find um, we made a lot of mistakes. It was a totally new business. Uh, we entered a market where we were totally unknown. Um, but uh, we learned that there was very little crossover between the premium cigar smoker, which yeah. is primarily what our market is, um, and and the vape customer. Yeah, there it's completely different har- demographic. Any crossover. Yeah. yeah, I would believe that. Yep. From from a marketing standpoint, which is what I do for you know for my day job, I I can I can see that you have a day job. 
Yeah, I know, right? Didn't know. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pay for a lot of diapers. Got to pay for a lot. Well, but you know, of famous is every, famous wait, is everywhere. Wait, wait, famous listen, is on the Stern Show. There, you listen, know. While I got Arthur on the phone, I just have to ask him. Excuse me, Dan, but, <laughs> but in your day, Arthur, did you ever hear of a baby moon or a push gift? <laughs> well, he has know, small I children. Was, I was listening intently to to your discussion about that. <laughs> so tomorrow. No, the answer is no, but tomorrow's my seventy second birthday. It is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. God bless. Thank, yeah, thank, thank you. So you guys have no idea how rough the cigar business was in the seventies and the eighties and how small the margins were, uh, by and large. Um, I mean we were working in many cases on a ten percent gross margin. Um, so, so I was working seven days a week. I mean, you touched upon that. Uh, um, I had I had to push off socializing, mm -hmm. marriage, um, because I, I had to stabilize my business, and the competition uh, was very rough, and I was just hanging in there, you know. By tenacity alone, tenacious D. Um, <laughs> there you go. That I, I, I mean, I wasn't making any money. I was working over 120 hours a week and earning $125. Wow. Take home pay. Well, it was cash. It was all cash. <laughs> I think I, I think I passed the statute of yeah, limitation yeah. at this yeah. point. <laughs> we won't. We won't tell your accountant. But, I promise. But, but but that's also because I, I mean I was so, in the same boat. You're so I I put off marriage and children. Um, ba basically, I didn't think I was going to have any. Um, and and then in in two thousand and three, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And that kind of turned my life around in a whole bunch of ways. And I said, you know, if if I survive this, I want to have kids. And I didn't have my first child until six and a half years ago. So I have a six and a half year old, and I have a sixteen month old. Wow. Um, and you know, my goal is to. My my goal is to live to a hundred, to be around, um, to stay healthy and lucid uh, until I could shift them off to college and uh, and be a good father. Well, it sounds like you're off to a great start, yeah, my friend. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, I I, I want to start diving a little bit into. You know, in a month of everybody writing letters to the industry, including myself, <laughs> right? I mean, everybody's opinions came out last month. I, 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 I want to start diving in, into um, your first letter, um, which was the announcing of your withdrawal from the trade show. And just, you know, what was your thought behind needing to... I mean, I haven't gone to the trade show many years. You know, I mean, what was your thought about posting the letter? Was it... Because you didn't, you wanted it to be clear that it wasn't because there was already a movement of withdrawing out, or what was the reasoning for the letter to the industry? No, my okay. So it, it was my letter 
had nothing to do with what those other four or five companies, I didn't even know that they were going to do that. In fact, the day that I called Charlie Minato and said, why haven't you published my letter? He said, have you seen my, my website? Four companies are pulling out. And I said, no, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been on the website. And, and then subsequent to that, he published part of what, what I wrote. So he, my, motiva- my, my, my motivation was um, basically what happened, what happened in Maryland. And I, I formed a, a, a group of, of companies um, to respond to the excise tax issue in Maryland. And in the beginning, we, we didn't know exactly what happened, um, just that the CAA lobbyists dropped the ball, didn't tell us about it until after it was done. And, and the, the language that was put into that bill was added on like the the night before the the it became law it passed um, and the original bill was a marketplace vendor bill and it had n- nothing to do with excise tax it was basically if if you're selling merchandise for for on your website and another person is shipping it then you have to collect sales tax. Uh, I had no problem um, with the original bill. We don't, we don't do any of that. Um, as we dug into it and, and we, hired, we hired a lobbyist, we, we found out that um, somehow the uh, PCA lobbyist, who was a new lobbyist, was involved in 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 this excise tax issue, um, we didn't know exactly how. I reached out to Paul Spence, who didn't return my phone calls or my emails. Paul Spence is uh, Paul Paul Spence uh, worked for uh, Partner in Civil Cigar Lounge uh, in Johnny, Maryland. Yeah. Johnny Anderson shop. John Anderson. Okay. okay, all right. I didn't know. Okay, yeah. there you go. Paul Paul Spence used to be my CAO salesman. Well, there you go. So I figured I figured he would give me the respect of like what what's going on here, but he he did not. And then I spoke with with Christian Iroa, and Christian said, "Well, it, it's really Feeney Helmuth who runs things for for the whatever the group's name is in Maryland." So I reached out to her. Um, she she did return my call. We had we had a nice conversation. Um, she said she had nothing that their group had nothing to do with what happened with the excise tax in Maryland. Um, that's all I had to to go on. Um, my belief is what happened in Maryland is is that. The Maryland cigar retailers 
tried to get a reduction in the excise tax, and and the and the legislator said that's a non-starter, not going to happen. How about if I do this? And this happened very late at night. And while they didn't, I, and again, this is supposition. I don't know mm-hmm. because the PCA hasn't come forward. John Anderson hasn't come forward, mm-hmm. um, and they've been they've said things that what I have said is not true. Um, but they haven't come forward and come clean on uh, the deep state. Let's say. Well, I mean, um, yeah. well, well, what actually happened there? And I would, I would really like to know what what exactly happened there. But my belief is that the legislature said, "How about this? How about we put a tax on remote sellers because we're not going to reduce the tax?" And they said, "We're okay with that." And that's what I believe. Late at night, the day before it became law happened. Now, we have William Cooper in the studio from The Scoop with Coop, who obviously does a lot of news and what's going on. Do, do you have a, a story of what the take is on that situation? No, I was actually listening intently to what Arthur was saying, because there hasn't been a lot of information that's come out. And on that's this. always kind of been your complaint about the PCAs, about getting the information Get, Getting out. information, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the first time I've kind of heard this in more detail on that. That's why I was kind of listening intently on that. Well, you know, here's the thing, because I, I know Feeney Helmuth. Yeah. She was actually a former president of yep. the IPCPR yep. at the time, yep. and I was actually on the board at the same time with Feeney and John Anderson, right? And, you know, you made a comment in your letter uh, for the 50 years that no one from the trade organization has ever returned the support or taken the time to understand your business and your segment of the industry, because according to the PCA, the internet retailers are the enemy. And what I can say, as someone who sat on the board and served in this, that this has been the absolute mentality of of not just the PCA or the IPCPR, whatever you want to call it, because I've sat on a board and heard these discussions of this, my favorite quote of leveling the playing field. I mean, it's about as socialist as you can get, right? <laughs> but um, I, I, I've, I've been on the board and I've heard these comments and I've been, I've sat on other boards, not so much of the PCA, and with other retailers and when they would discuss guys like Arthur and Lou, because a guy like me who basically started with one nine hundred square foot store, right? These were guys I've always admired. I I, I like my friendship. No offense to you, Arthur. <laughs> I, 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 I've always you know admired and loved my friendship with Lou because I, a guy like that I could learn every little minute of every conversation I've ever had with him. Right? These aren't guys that I never felt like were the enemy because it's a capitalistic country. I don't care what trade you're in, right? There's always the outlet mall. There's always the Home Depot. Mm-hmm. There's always whatever. You have to pivot and figure out how to evolve and survive. But that's never been the mentality of a lot of these retailers, right? They don't say, what can I provide that these mail order guys can't. How can I bring these right. guys down? Because they're different consumers. Yeah. I will never, ever, ever as a consumer order from a mail order catalog. Just mail order catalog. I would never kind of really, if I had a good place to go, like one of my own shops, order online unless I really didn't have a place that provided me what I needed. You know, if you're doing a good job, right, because not everybody is so price oriented. And today more than ever, and I want we're going to discuss this later because I think you bring it up, Arthur, in your second letter, 
some of these prices are controlled and, and, and you know, you're not saving money by going online. So then what do you do? Well, you have to provide them an experience. And I think that's why the evolution of now the bigger cigar shops with bars and mm-hmm. more of a social setting has now become. But just like any industry, Kodak or whatever it is, if you want to stay stagnant and think the world's not going to change around you, you know, you're going to die. I don't understand why the cigar industry has taken this internet is evil approach when other industries haven't and thrived on it. I've just never understood it. I mean, you just nailed it. In the end, it should come down to the customer service and the, and the product you're bringing to the table. You shouldn't have to worry about that. You know, listen. There, there's... I, 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 think, I think it's because, uh, with, with all respect to, to brick-and-mortar retail, which I still am a brick-and-mortar retailer, and I started out as a brick-and-mortar retailer, as I said, in a 350-square-foot store with my mom and my uncle, um, they're not innovative, and they just sit behind the counter and they wait for you know the register to ring, instead of being proactive. And uh, the term that often we use in discussion about a lot of uh, brick and mortar retailers is that they're they're just hobbyists. If, um, I'm, if I may, Arthur, they don't have a architect friend coming in and telling them they're stupid. It's <laughs> probably a valid point. They don't have that. They don't have that kind of motivation. Well, listen to me. Here's the bigger problem that has a little merit of truth. What you said, right? Most of these guys, if someone had come in and said, "If you, you know, this is why you're stupid," they get fired. Yes. They don't go out and buy a bunch of books and say, "Hey, let me, my, let me do this." Yes. So that 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 mentality is part of the problem. You know, they want. They want they, they 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 want to blame everything but what the real problem is and why they're losing business, right? I mean, I always believe that if you look hard enough, there's a solution. You just got to find it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not always going to be easy. And sometimes you have to shake things up. It doesn't sound like you know everybody's willing to shake things up. Look, at the end of the day, there are different types of consumers, and you have to know who your consumer is. Right. There are the consumers, which no offense to you, Arthur, or any that the CIs will cater to because those are the guys who really aren't that selective of what they're smoking, you know, what brand. They're looking to buy something on the low mm-hmm. and smoke it too. Yeah. You know, and, and look, I mean. Well, I mean, we, we uh, as Internet companies fill, fill that gap. Um, I, don't, I don't turn my nose up at people that smoke El Producto. Hmm. And I don't I don't turn my pe- my nose up at people that buy three and four dollar cigars, which is is probably, you know, the, the bulk of, you know, of of our business um, in that in that category, because the retailers are not interested by and large. I, I don't want to brand every single retailer. Uh, I have relationships with guys like Dave Garofalo. We have a great relationship. Um, he doesn't have anything against me because he does his own thing. Um, but the average retailer is like, if the cigar is not $10, I'm not interested in selling it. <laughs> and, um, and they mark up, by and large, again, they mark up everything, you know, and they, they take the excise tax, which I, in my next document, which is coming out probably next week, I, I go into the fact how retailers um, will take a 15% excise tax on a $100 box of cigars, 
And now that now the box of cigars is a two hundred and thirty dollar retail instead of a two hundred retail with a fifteen dollar excise tax attached to it. Um, so they just double the excise tax, and you know the consumers don't know about this. Um, it's hidden. In our case, because we're on the internet, we we have to we're going to have to show what the calculation of the excise tax is because if it's not going to a state whether whether if it's going to a state where there's no excise tax um then we don't have to fill in that box um but so in, in, in defense of that hold on Arthur, because I, I have both i have brick and mortars and, and we have a online web presence as well um you know i think part of that got convoluted because the majority when i say the majority i think it's really almost all of them, except maybe a, a few, when that excise tax was pa- passed, they incorporated it into their selling price. So, you know, you got to remember, most of these retailers, you know, aren't like, you know, rocket scientists. So when, when, when they were buying a box for $100 on invoice and they were putting the regular MSRP at 200 minus whatever discount they give for the box, that box started coming in at 125 Most of these invoices didn't even show that it was an excise tax. It just showed as a new wholesale cost for the box. They listed on their price sheet as this is your new wholesale cost for the box because the manufacturers just incorporated as part of a cost. So the, when the retailers got invoices, they just followed the normal protocol of how to mark up their cost of goods. So I think bad precedent was set by the manufacturers from day one because this is a complaint Lou has had. For a long time, I, well, heard, I sat with him. I heard him. Yeah, well, heard not him not everybody. Complaint. I mean, General Cigar didn't didn't. It's uh, only about two or three of them. It's only about two or three uh, of them. Know, that I know out of but, everybody. But I, I lived through this in New York State, where there was a Governor Cuomo put an excise tax on about 1992, um, so a long time ago, um, of 15 percent on the cost price. And we had to pay the excise tax um, on the purchase of the cigars rather than when we sold the cigars. So if we would buy, you know, uh, half a million dollars worth of cigars, um, we, we would owe 15% uh, tax on that by the 20th of the following month. And again, since we was we were in the we were in the catalog business at that point, so what what did we have to do? We couldn't change all our prices because the bulk of our our shipments were going out of New York State, not being sold in New York State. So we came up with um, a line item and said, okay, well, we're going to charge the customer. I don't know. Twelve percent of the selling price of the cigars, and then add the sales tax on top of that. But for, for, is this, so, unless I'm mistaken, cigars that you shipped out of state, you were credited the excise tax, weren't you? Uh, yeah, but we still had to pay it when we bought it. You had to pay it when you bought it, but you got you, you know, cigars you shipped out of state. You got excise tax, and and that state tax is still different from the the uh, custom the the um, oh. The, the, the federal tax, yeah, the federal tax of coming into the country, which was which is incurred four, by the four, manuf- four and a, four and a quarter four and a quarter cents for most of the time yes. that I've been in this business. Yes, 
Yes, oh, S chip changed that. Which is basically that. a dollar a box. And S chip changed that, but that that ta- that tax was taxed to the manufacturers when they imported into the country, and then those manufacturers. Well, we we were a direct importer in a lot of cases where we had you know to calculate the the pricing because it was separate. Uh, we we were we were a direct account of of Fuente, um, going back to 1983. Um, so he would just ship the cigars. Um, FOB, um, you know, like an eight and a half by fifty-two cigar was like six hundred dollars a cigar, um, and so we would import it at six hundred dollars, and then we'd pay four and a quarter cents a cigar. So we'd be paying sixty-five cents a cigar plus with the shipping charge. So it was separate, but that was that was the only excise tax that we had. To calculate, and if we wanted, we could just say, you know, we're just going to absorb it, um, or we're going to keep it as a separate accounting line item, um, and see what happens at the end of the year. Um, so, in New York State, we we had to create uh, a separate line item for the excise tax. We we didn't want the customer to know if a guy was buying. Uh, a, a box of cigars for a hundred dollars that cost twenty five dollars. We didn't want them to know that it cost twenty five dollars. Um, so we calculated it on the selling price. Arthur, kind of going back to the first letter there. Um, one thing I think that was a bit controversial in that letter was the comments you made on Marvin Shankin. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bring that up too. I thought, why, why, why include that in that letter? Because it almost seemed like I mean, look, I have my issues too. One there, thrown over the bow, right? But it almost, it almost seemed like you, you had an axe to grind, and then you went on to this other thing. W- what was the well, reason for that? I, I, I dislike Marvin Schenken, though I recognize, <laughs> I, I, I recognize the value that he brought to the industry. Um, my, my dislike with him is personal. Um, I I approached Marvin Shankin about the time that, uh, if you remember, Lou came out with a magazine called Cigar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I hadn't talked to Marvin Shankin since the since the beginning of his uh, that meeting that we had that lunch that he invited me to to basically. <laughs> Give him your Rape list. me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I went over to Marvin and I said, you know, we have something in common now. You hate Lou and I hate Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's work together, you know, and I'll promote your magazine. <laughs> wow. And we did. <laughs> And and it was about that time, so this is about 2002, 2001, and I said, Marvin, you, you do a prostate cancer dinner every year. I have prostate cancer. Can you help me? Can you hook me up with somebody? Um, I'm about at the point that I need, I need to go in for surgery. No problem, Arthur. Just call me when I get back to New York. This was at the trade show. Um, and I called him. Um, and then I called him again. Oh. And then I called him again. Oh. 
And I said, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't care. This is all, all for show with this prostate, because here he knows somebody that has it, and he's not even willing to, I'm not asking him for money. Right, just a contact. I'm asking him for, for, you know, a reference. Wow. So I called up Laura Zandi, who was managing the circulation and the promotion that we were doing, where we were giving away a free subscription to Cigar Aficionado, um, which he didn't give us for free, by the way. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> he gave it to you at a reduced cost, I'm sure. A reduced cost, yeah. right. Which, which uh, Lou said he did for him, too, at some point. <laughs> So I, I said, Laura, I'm out of this program. I'm not sending you any more names. You know, she said, why? I said, because your boss is an asshole, <laughs> and he treats me like like shit. And does he? Do you have the same experience with him? <laughs> and she said, yes. He treats everybody like that. Wow. Um, so that was the end of the promotion relationship yeah. and then I made one final call to Marvin Chankin and I knew he wasn't going to answer the phone which he didn't and I said Marvin I just want you to know that you are a shit and if you don't believe me just ask the people that work for you wow. <laughs> oh my god and and, I love this and that was I have I have nothing to lose with Marvin. Right. He cool. can't do he can't do anything to me. Right. I'm one of the few people in the industry that could say these things about Marvin Shankin because I mean he could write a negative article about my company, but that would be uh, advertising for my company, <laughs> which, he, which he won't do. No. Um, he 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 would never let us advertise in his magazine. Um, wow. Wow. Which, you know, which, you know, there were a couple of other magazines out there before Cigar Aficionado, which you probably don't know about. Smoke. Was that one of them? Well, it was one that Lou came out with, with the guy that did Screw Magazine. Oh, yeah, Um, Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Not Harvey Weinstein. No, not Harvey Weinstein, but it's, hold on. Because he was good for Al Goldstein actually worked for Lou. I knew it was a scheme. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I thought we were going dark there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, my mentor, Sal Fontana, was he, he was actually good friends with Al Goldstein. Al, he, he had a he had a place here in Fort Lauderdale with a giant statue of a hand on the intercoastal giving all the boats the fingers. <laughs> True story. The HOA allowed that? True story. I, I don't know if there's an HOA when you got a house that big. You know, I don't know. But yeah, true story. But yeah, yeah, Al Goldstein, that's right. They, they did have some kind of magazine. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it, it was like it was more like a newsletter than a magazine. Yeah. But there was another magazine um, that came out. It was, a, it was a young kid in New Jersey. Uh, it was just called Cigar. And um, his name was Jody, and I don't remember his last name, and it was published by a company called Hayworth Publishing Company. And, and it, it was a legitimate magazine that came out about four or five times, and, and then it, you know, it, it died. So, so, you know, these guys were way, way ahead of their, their, their time. Um, but, um, you know, I, I mean, 
Marvin Schenken coalesced um, something that I think nobody within the industry recognized at that particular uh, time, which was, you know, like 1991, and the first issue was August 92. Um, There was nobody advertising. The only people that were advertising were Thompson, J.R., myself and and a couple other mail order companies and very very little advertising expenditure by the manufacturers uh, Questeray did some small amount of advertising uh, consolidated cigar before it became Altidus did some small amount of uh, of advertising uh, but basically there was no money spent on on print media or, or any any kind of promotions um there were no cigar events. I mean, it was it was it was a whole different ball game. It was a different era. Right. It was a completely different era. The pricing the pricing on a cigar was completely different. I mean, the margins were were different, um, and it didn't allow. I mean, from 1970 when I came into the business to 1992 uh, when the cigar boom started. Um, Imports uh, did not really change in 22 years. It was like 95 to 105 million cigars in total for that 22-year period. It never, it never exceeded that. Um, so the the industry was not growing. Uh, why did I stay in? Because you know I was like committed. I yeah. mean, like. I ain't working for anybody else. So <laughs> this is it, you know. I every time I work for somebody else I got fired. So. When you're knee when you're knee deep in the mud, you just gotta keep yeah. going. So listen, you just you know, it was like there was there was no choice. I yeah. mean I was in it and I said, uh, there's no turning back and if I lose this I probably will end up uh, on on the Bowery somewhere. <laughs> well, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Arthur Zarecki of Famous Smoke. We're going to take a short break. After the break, we're going to come back and discuss his open letter number two, an open letter to the cigar industry, the lie about Internet cigar sellers. And I got some highlighted points that I'd like to elaborate with Arthur right after this break. <laughs> Arthur, stay stay there. We'll come right back. We'll be to right you. back after a short break. Keep it lit. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. Cigar fairies making rounds. Yeah, that's fantastic. Keep it lit with KMA Talk Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. Welcome back to KMA Talk Radio. We are here broadcasting live. I am Adam Gay, the Brewmeister. With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Honest Abe. Good morning. Paul, the producer. Hey, hey, hey. And our special guest sitting in, Mr. William Cooper, Yay. back in the state of Florida again. A lot more quiet than I thought you'd be. I thought you'd be I a little more vocal I, I, today. I have been, uh, you know, there's a lot I learned from this in, in the last hour. There's yeah. a lot you learned on KMA Radio. We're yeah, just not the, entertaining. We're educational. No, mm-hmm. no but uh, to hear Arthur tell his story um, has been, you know, very interesting to hear that side of it. Um, By the way, I, I want to give props to all my patch 
people who sent me these awesome patches. How many you, are there in total? I don't know, but as you can see, uh, I'm all patched up. We finally got them all you know, on. So wow. Got some on the back. Except you don't have that new dojo patch. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, fools, right? I just finished patching my shirt, and literally the next day they release, oh, we got a color now. You can order <laughs> it online. <laughs> he's, so, got, he's got our address. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking to yeah. Arthur Zaretsky. Oh, oh go ahead. Smoke shop, yes, of Arthur. And uh, Arthur, in the first hour, we were talking about uh, your history in the industry, how you got in, uh, the creating of your catalog company, and all that fun stuff, and a lot of great stories. And then we were talking about your first letter when famous when you wrote out famous smoke shop withdrawals from the 2020 PCA trade show, and you recently released a second letter that well. Abe's got a lot of highlighted points he wants to talk about, so uh, let's just dive right in. <laughs> well, I mean, look, there's, there's... there's a lot of good stuff in here, but I mean, the one thing I want to talk about is the biggest thing you've mentioned, I think, that corresponds to the first and second letter is the fractures within the industry. Now, how do you think that all developed, and what is your, I mean, other than what you've already said... I think the fractures have been around for a while. I right. think it's just coming to a point, but I'd be interested to hear uh, Arthur's perspective. Yes. Well, so, uh, going back uh, uh, to about 2003, um, Lou Rothman called a meeting at his place in Whippany, New Jersey, um, where about 30 people came. Did you go? I went. Huh. I did go. And um, it was basically a fundraiser that Lou had, had organized without calling it a fundraiser. So a lot of, a lot of people were, were taken, taken off guard. Um, what was he fundraising for? Well, it was, it was for legislative issues um, okay. that we needed, we needed to become more proactive but you know things hadn't really gotten to the point yet where where people actually felt the pain um so a, a lot of people i re, i remember dave garofalo was there and uh he was asked you know for money and he was like um i have to talk with my partners um because none of us came prepared right. um to you know fork over 5 or 10,000 dollars um, and I don't, I don't remember if I actually contributed or not. I probably, probably did, but, you know, maybe Lou would remember if I did or didn't. Um, but, but that was like the first turning point in my mind, um, that Lou foresaw that there was going to be big problems down the road. Um, later, later on, I, I'm not exactly sure when the CRA was formed. I became very, very active with with the CRA, um, and I, I raised a couple of hundred thousand dollars for them by basically um, working with the manufacturers and selling merchandise that we basically gave all the money uh, to the CRA. Um, and I was asked to be on the board, which I was on the board for a while and then I, I began seeing that the people that were on the board there um, there was a lot of disagreements about well acid cigars they, yeah. um, they did yeah. they didn't want they didn't want him as part 
of the premium cigar business when Marvin Samuel had fought so hard. It, it was also at the point that Jeff Borshowitz um, resigned. Yep. Um, and um, and then it, there was really nobody on the board that represented what Famous Smoke Shop did, uh, which was internet, but but also there was no machine made, and and we sell machine made cigars um, representation on on the board either. Um, and, and the final blow came when when George Padrone wrote a letter saying, this is our definition of a premium cigar, and if you don't like it, then, you know, you can leave, and, or we're going to form our own organization. And, you know, I wrote him back and said, you know, we have a democratic process here. We have a voting process. You're making it a fiat organization um, with a threat, and I, I can't be part of this anymore. Um, and it, between what they did to Marvin, I was there at the meeting where they basically um, exfoliated him, uh, and the letter that George sub- subsequently wrote, um, and I said, I, I can't be part of this. They, they, they don't represent what I do. Um, and some of the logic that they're using is is just beyond belief. I remember Lito Gomez saying, we have truth on our side, so we have to win. And I'm like, yeah, that and 15 cents is going to get you on the subway. Um, so... Um, well, so I, I you know, I, I parted ways with 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 the C the CRA. Um, so even even within the premium cigar business, let alone the premium and 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 the machine made, there was already uh, fracturing. I was not one to um, go public about these things until now. I, I guess basically, um, I am not a uh, a Facebook person or a social media person. Um, I've always been, you know, fairly uh, um, private. Uh, but but things just bubbled up to the point where I said, I, I think I have to speak because somebody has to speak for what. I do in the industry, and a lot of other people do in the industry, um, and almost every retailer uh, has has some form of let's call it mail order or internet uh, business. And and if he doesn't, it's just a self-imposed um, rule that really doesn't make much sense. Um, but to to point out that. We're doing something detrimental to the industry. I think is is something that needed to be, you know, brought to light, and oh. and that was why I I wanted the industry to know my thoughts for the first time, which I've been sitting on for you know thirty years, um, being part of an organization that doesn't really do anything for me. I get the deals at the show whether I come or don't go to the show. Um, 
but I paid my dues. I brought my people. Um, I, 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 Gary Pesh asked me to donate ten thousand dollars to the uh, to the PCA. It was at that time the uh, IPCPR, and 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 I did that um, because I have respect for Gary, and I think Gary Gary is Gary was on the board of directors. Of, of the CRA, I long don't know time. if he still is. No, no, he he came off about a long time. Yeah, I sat on the board with Gary. Yeah, Arthur, you were talking. Um, Arthur, you were talking about yeah. CRA and, and your split with them. I get the whole flavored thing, right? I know that's a and I, when they did the Marvin, I totally, you know, we spent four years up there. But you mentioned the machine made part, right? But wasn't the whole idea when CRA was established that it was meant to separate that from the very beginning? Or am I wrong on that? I can answer that question. Uh, I think yeah. better than Arthur. Okay. Because I'll tell you why, and probably Arthur doesn't even know this. Very few people know this, but if you ask Jeff or some of the other guys, they'll tell you. Is I, I started the whole thing of the CRA, me personally. I remember getting on the phone with Marvin Samuel, Pete Johnson, Jeff Borschwitz, basically saying, look, here's our problem when we fight legislation. Us going down there as 1,500 you know, retailers, no one cares. We need a consumer-driven base. We need to emulate the NRA, which is how I came up with the name CRA, which ended up getting used, right? Keith Parks was involved. There were some early meetings in, in one of the trade shows, I can't even remember which one, where it was me, Keith Parks, Marvin Samuel, Jeff Borschwitz, Pete Johnson, and a couple other key retailers about talking, a cons- talking about a consumer-driven thing for, for cigars. It was never about what the cigars were going to be. We wanted the base of the people because now if you really want to go and lobby and say, hey, I got an organization that represents half a million voters, right? It's a lot better than I got 1,500 retailers. The problem is somewhere along the way, they couldn't figure out how. And listen, I, I'm not, I, I, I support the CRA still right. because I believe there's a need for these kind of things. And somebody's got to do some level of fighting. They're going to be at the Great Smoke. But the, the, whole, the whole process of what I was trying to say we needed as, as, as an industry, a consumer-driven thing where we represented people all with the commonality got changed because the CRA was should have been funded by the people. They couldn't get enough members to raise enough money, and then they had to start going to the manufacturers. So in essence, it became a manufacturer organization, yes. not a consumer organization. And that's when the differentiating of this, because... Initially, it was just about a consumer okay. organization. So, okay. And if you're, if you're really making a consumer organization, and you could, you, you could correct me if, I, if you feel I'm off on this, Arthur, it, it, you represent the consumers. Right, right. Right? I mean, I came from the grocery store. You know, Arthur talked about selling cigars. I, I've always sold $3 cigars in my retail store to $50, whatever the high-priced ones are, because that's what consumers are. If I'm going to service my consumers, you know, that's right. what I need to provide. So, um The second the existence of the CRA had to be funded by manufacturers to survive, the whole basis, in my opinion, of what it was supposed to be changed. And and that's why I don't believe it has the potency that it could have had or should have had had they had half a million or a million members of the organization on a consumer level. (laughs) <laughs> and now you know. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't know that that story because I came. I came uh, into the CRA um, realizing that the industry needed some voice, um, but but that was that was after Jeff had had left. Uh, I became friendly with Jeff at 
at that point, I had some conversations with him, and I saw how hard this man was trying to to bring unity. And when I got on the board, I I tried to bring unity. I said, we, we don't go to Washington and say, look at Swisher's cigars. They're the problem. I said, that's not the right approach. Um, we need to stop that. Um, but they didn't. Um, I said, you know, Swisher has a lot more money, and and the machine-made industry has a lot more money a lot. Than, than we have. And to stick uh, something in their eye, a nail in their eye, is, is not the best way. We need, you know, if... If they're on the bottom berth of the Titanic and we're on the upper berth of the Titanic, we're still both on the Titanic. So we need commonality wherever we could work together so that work out the differences um, between ourselves um, and, and see where we could go. But but that, that was not the mentality of, of a lot of the manufacturers. Uh, was mostly manufacturers, but some retailers uh, like Ari and and some mail order companies and uh, like Holtz um, on on the board, um, but they had a different vision than than I had and a different way about um, doing things. And I said I, I just don't fit here, so you know I resigned um, ultimately. Um, and, you know, I, I felt the CRA was not dealing with the, the tax issues and the Internet issues on a state level um, because that wasn't their, that wasn't really their, their mission, um, and that the CAA would be a better fit for me and I would have a better voice, and ultimately, you know, I, I became a, a board member which I am now, of, of the CAA. And the CAA has always been a major organization in the industry that most consumers aren't familiar with, but it, it, there's a lot... I'm not more, familiar with it. It's, there's a lot more mass market mm. representation in the CAA. The CAA. The CAA, and honestly, the IPCPR over the years have kind of had a uh, irritable relationship yeah. because of these specific viewpoints, right? Now, I want to I talk yes. about a, a point that you made here about denying the positive impact of Internet retailers like Famous Smoke Shop um, because you have to respect the growth you brought to the cigar industry. Now, I, I've said for a long time ago, look, in any business, pretty much in any life form, an organism, right, there's always a symbiotic relationship, a circle of life, right? The, the, these companies are much needed, and they're needed by manufacturers, too, because manufacturers... You know, when they get stuck with 500 or 800 boxes of something they can't move, where's the outlet for that, right? Right. You know, they don't want a two or five box them at a time to try to get them out the door on deals or whatever. So to have a company like Famous or CI who could buy lots and uh, unload some of this and put some cash flow, especially for mid-level companies who are growing and cash flow is continual issue. This is a big deal. It's a them. big outlet for, right. for their survival. So, the you know, the existence of these types of businesses, I believe, is imperative to the survival of a lot of these companies, which in the end provides more of a variety to consumers. Um, where I did kind of question, because I'm a retailer and I, I, we have an e-commerce site, and you said, when you know, 
I also do believe that manufacturers have the ability to control how they want to market their brand because one of the issues you talked about is when they started passing minimum price standards. And I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you as if you own a brand, you could set forth in how you do business. You know, when, when re, you know man, a manufacturer is concerned to say, well, if we did X, Y for you, you know, what would the retailer say? I believe is a viable argument because even in my brick-and-mortar stores, if I apparently treated five guys better than everybody else who walks through the door, guess what the other 250 guys, you know, are going to say? So I think that is not necessarily bad from the industry because, look, one of the things, Arthur, and I, you may disagree with me completely on this, right, but the Internet companies, as much good as they do for the industry, you have to understand that they've also been a vehicle of killing brands. There's been many brands that have found the graveyards because of catalog companies that have either bought too much and now are stuck too much. And what do they do now? They just start blowing them out at a loss, using them as a loss leader. Um, and, you know, there's a viability to protecting a price point of a brand. If you look at a company like Mont Blanc that at one point was an Office Depot and Office Max, because when I was growing up, somebody had a Mont Blanc pen. I was like, whoa, that guy's got a real elite pen in his pocket. Then they start putting it in you know, Office Depot, and, and look what happened to the brand. It became nothing. And if you look at how they've restructured, they've pulled out of all those kind of stores, and now they're opening up shishi, fufu, big, nice stores and malls and stuff, selling you know, $400 wallets and stuff. You mean like Davidoff using we, paper we bundles? Used to be in the, we used to be in the pen business. Yeah. We had a pen, we had a pen catalog. So, Mont Blanc actually changed the, the name from Cohenar USA to Mont Blanc USA, and then we had to reapply, and they said, you're not the right type of outlet for us. That, that we were doing over a million dollars in pens. So why do you uh, feel... But anyhow, why that, do you that, feel, that's, that, so, uh, why do you I feel mean, it's a problem let me, let me address, let me address Let me address some of the things yeah. that, that you said, because there's, there's a historical perspective as well. Um, so for a close, close on 100 years... Um, the manufacturers had no legal right to tell a retailer um, what to sell um, the merchandise at. So the 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 manufacturers would, would generally control that by um, in the cigar industry by you know we're out of stock uh, or. Yeah. Back I orders. ordered a hundred boxes, and I right. only got five boxes. Right. Um, and, and 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 the process of of suing a manufacturer, um, which Lou did, by the way, um, and there's an interesting story about about uh, about that with uh, with Lane Limited, which I was a part of. Um, that was Dunhill back in the day. They pretty much had the Dunhill line. Yeah, Dunhill, Monte Cruz. Yeah. Um, so they even though there was no you know legality to control prices if a manufacturer could prove that there was malintent um on the part of a retailer to hurt a brand they could you know stop selling and then it would be go to court or if a uh, a manufacturer cut off a retailer uh, the retailer had recourse to to sue the manufacturer um, and and a lot of these things were done 
you know, private conversations, handshake deals, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, we were a much smaller industry back then. Um, and, and, and a lot, a lot of these issues were, were the, were the manufacturer's own fault because they didn't know how to control their production. Um, and they overproduced. And, um, I mean, what would have happened at, at the end of, uh, 1999 when there were 200 million cigars, um, that had no home, right? Uh, and most of them were crappy cigars. Um, and it took it took another couple of years for guys like uh, Holtz and myself and uh, Alex Goldman um, and and probably Jr. and Ci to to push this junk um, through through the system uh, because the manufacturers were either going out of business or sitting on you know way too much inventory. Um, so, in in that respect, we you know normalized the industry back to where you know it was about three hundred million cigars. Um, that would have taken a much much longer period of time without without the internet. Um, so the internet, yes, I agree, could be a source of of of, of, of bad. Uh, things happening to a brand, um, and the, the beginning 2007, um, there was a Supreme Court decision that that changed um, everything for for all for all selling um, across the board. Um, so I, I thought that I was happy with the with the system that preexisted that where um, I could sell for whatever I wanted, but I knew if I did, there were consequences that I wouldn't get shipped, or I wouldn't get shipped but, to but what I needed, and I would have back orders and double shipments. So um, there was, um, you know, th there was that equilibrium that automatically the market existed in the market. But, but 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 I don't believe. I mean, when I read your letter, I, it almost seems like you know that was you know driven by the brick and mortars or whatever. But I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that the manufacturers, well, there were manufacturers who wanted what was driven the, the the standardizing of a minimum map, map pricing, minimum advertised price. That right? had nothing to do with the cigar industry. That was that was a case that occurred in Texas in Houston. With uh, the leather goods industry, a, a company named Legan and a small retailer named Kay's Closet. I understand, but the contracts had existed prior to that. Davidoff had always maintained a contracted price. They make you sign a contract. Because I remember early on in my career, we always didn't understand. Well, Because everybody would tell you, well, it's not legal. You can't do it. Davidoff had one. And there were a couple other con companies or smaller ones that would start and make you sign a contract. And then there, there was the whole story of, well, the contracts aren't enforceable. Da I mean, Davidoff seemed to hold their enforcement pretty good for their white label brand. So, well, it's probably probably because nobody challenged it, but it wasn't it wasn't legal to do that. And what they did with me is they we're, we're not putting you on as an account. 
You know, I understand. For like the first 25 years I'm in the industry, they ain't selling me. I understand, but the point I'm trying to make is that that desire wasn't so much... It, it was also on the manufacturers. They wanted to be able to control how their product was branded and sold and not discounted and not cheapened, which I don't think is a bad thing. If I have a brand that I'm investing my money on and I want to create a perception of a value or what it is or a standard, I don't want people who I sell my product to to cha- try to change that standard, which I think is the argument here. So I, I, I personally don't have a problem with that I, happening. I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just saying that from a legal point of view, it didn't happen until two, you know, yeah. even if the manufacturers wanted it, legally it was not enforceable until 2007. Um, and of course, the whole industry um, changed because of, of the cigar boom. And, and there were other issues like not being able to get supply. So when you can't get supply, um, it was, why sell it, you know, at 10% above your cost? Um, I, I remember having a conversation with an employee of mine way back um, when the, the brand Havana Gold was introduced. And it was a $5 cigar, which was a lot of money at that time. And he said, I want to take it in. And I said, we're not taking, nobody's going to buy a $5 cigar. <laughs> and, and he said, and not only is it a $5 cigar, I want to sell it for $5. And I said, Jose, you're nuts. But okay, order 10 boxes. And let's see what happens. So he he ordered ten boxes, and within three days, the ten boxes at one hundred and twenty-five, fifty minus twenty, you know, they were gone. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's uh, Um, Sal Fontana, one of my mentors. His two famous quotes were, and he says it. He was saying it toward the end of his life. There, his two best predictions in history were um, that the embargo would last a year. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and that and that when when the price of a cigar went over a dollar, it'd be the end of the cigar business. <laughs> that was Sal's. Wow. Sal, Sal, Sal was. I, I knew Sal a long, long time, and he was uh, uh, he he was a prince of a guy, and uh, one one of, one of the few guys that was able to bring a, ba- a brand back after it had died. Yep. Which was which was the Baccarat. Yep. He was also involved in a brand called Carl Upman. You pro- I don't know if you know Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I got a picture of him holding an old Carl Upman box. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, no, he was a great guy. Um, now, I wanna- so anyway, that, that was a turning point that, for me, um, because for 22 years, I'm like, can't, you know, if, if I raise a cigar a nickel... I got people walking. I mean, you have to remember the in my universe there was twenty cigar stores within an eight eight blocks eight block area. I mean, so when you raised your price, I'm, I'm walking I'm walking down the block. Mm-hmm. They didn't raise the prices yet, uh, and I'm talking a nickel a cigar. I mean, Bering Bering Plaza 
was five for a dollar, nine ninety five for a box of fifty, and it was it was an all tobacco long filler cigar made in Tampa by the by the Corral family, and uh, it was one of the biggest selling, and most of it was sold in Claro Claro, uh, but it was one of the biggest selling cigars that we had. I mean, there was no premium cigars at that point. Um, Bering came out with a line called Spanish Colonial Style, which was actually handmade in, in Tampa. Um, we carried it. It didn't do that well. And and then about that time, cigars started coming in from Nicaragua at, you know, $350 per thousand. Um, so People said, you know, for another 10 or 15 cents, I'm going to buy a handmade cigar. And that yeah. was the beginning of the end of of the cigar manufacturing business in the United States. Now, you, you brought up a point, which I'm, I'm curious about, because you, you, you kind of um, hypothesize should the big catalog uh, manufacturers go away. You make a statement, the, BM, the B&M's, won't pick up the slack if the internet retailers go away. Instead, fewer cigars will be purchased by the industry as a whole. I kind of question this a little bit because back when, I don't know how long ago, maybe it was five or six years ago, Maryland had enacted some kind of law which was interpreted as no one could ship into Maryland anymore. So I remember, along with a lot of the big guys and myself, we stopped shipping to Maryland overnight. And it lasted about three months until somebody finally came up from the government and said, well, this is not how we meant the law to be. It's being interpreted wrong, you know, you know, and everybody started selling to Maryland. But if I remember correctly, the B&M businesses during that three-month period went up some stratospherical number, like 28 29% during those three months. Why do you feel if the – and I'm not saying it's good or bad for the industry. I'm just saying just to this statement alone that – Consumption would go down. Is it because of the people in the rural hills of Montana who don't have a star? Or do you feel like the people coming into my store every day are going to start consuming less? Well, I mean, there's there's definitely a correlation between the price of a cigar and how much of that product is consumed. Um, I don't think you could argue with that. And um, when when prices rise beyond a certain level and people start doing an analysis how much money am I spending on this uh, hobby, this pursuit I can't afford it anymore Um, so I think that um, will will the brick and mortar retailers by and large start selling $3 cigars to say well if you can't buy the $10 cigar we got the $4 cigar Maybe they, maybe maybe some retailers, of course, will. I don't know how um, accurate you are in that statement and thinking a lot of brick and mortar stores don't sell three dollars cigars or four dollars cigars. Um, I, I, I almost all you you in particular, William, you travel the country going yeah. to almost every cigar shop. Yeah, how many of them do you go to who sell bundled cigars? A lot. I mean, Quorum is one of the best selling brands. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, look, here's what happened. It's yeah. a free market, right? So. I I think there's always going to be a three or four dollar cigar. Now, what you're talking about, Arthur, I believe, is like, look, brands get affected. It's just like when there's a price increase, right? When there's a price increase, the manufacturers, I'll get calls from manufacturers. Hey, you know, who's raising prices? You know, what do you think? Because that's never a problem for me as a retailer. Because 
you know, if there's a price increase, you know better than anybody, the value of my inventory just went, went up. up. So I'm all right. But as a consumer, they have to make a decision based on what you're saying. So if I'm a, if I smoke brand X and I'm a loyal brand X smoker and that cigar is a six dollar cigar, right? And all of a sudden tomorrow there's a price increase and that six dollar cigar became six ninety five. As a consumer, I don't quit. I don't stop smoking. Now two things may happen. One is I may decide that I like the brand so much that I'm still gonna buy it at six ninety five. Now, I may try to convince myself that maybe I'll smoke a little bit less, but yeah, how often does that happen? So either I start spending more money, or guess what I do as a consumer? I find myself another $6 cigar that I'm going to enjoy and start relating. So I don't know if the price formula works as far as controlling consumption, because I believe there's always going to be somebody who's going to make a $3 cigar or a three fifty cigar. It, it, they may switch brands. This manufacturer may sell less, but you know, if this manufacturer is selling less, then I think what happens is this guy starts selling more. So I, I don't know if I agree with that whole overall scheme of consumption going down. It works that way in the cigarette industry, but the cigarette industry is not totally analogous to the cigar no. industry because there are so many different price points in the cigar industry. Uh, I guess the question is, would the average retailer say, you know, um, I'm going to go after that market, and I'm only going to make a dollar fifty a cigar um, instead of making five dollars a cigar, and my my costs are the same, my labor costs are the same. Um, they're probably going to try not to to go that way unless. There's no choice. You know, I mean, look, uh, here, here's the problem. I think I think the savvy retailers, which retailers would have to be more savvy, are going to realize that, look, you have to sell the, th- your margins, is, your margins, your margin. So you're selling $3 in a margin, t- because not everybody's a $10 cigar smoker. So you can't alienate the guys who are going to walk in your store and buying $3. See, I, I don't look at that as, oh, my God, I, I could have made $5 on a cigar and only made $1.50. No, what I look at is, the guy who wanted to buy a $10 cigar bought it, and a guy who wanted to buy a $3 cigar now five months store and bought that too. I look at it as ancillary to my business, not detrimental to my business. So, I, I, and like I said, I, I think most retailers around the country sell bundles. I, I, I have met retailers who say, we won't sell bundles, mm-hmm. who, who believe in you know exactly what you're talking about. They don't want to sell less than a ten dollar cigar, and they'll only sell certain yeah, products, and, 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 certain brands but, rather. But those guys will get eaten alive by guys like me who will come and open up stores and say, "Hey, I'll sell everything." Right. You know, you want the frame off the wall? I'll sell right, it for right, fifty bucks. I hundred percent agree. <laughs> if 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 the retailer has that uh, mentality, then they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. Um, I've I've always looked at it. And whatever my customer wants, if I can make money on it, I'm taking it in. It's a true story. Um, so um, I don't I don't look down upon people that are smoking El Producto or or White Owls mm-hmm. or machine made cigars. Um, I did look down for a while on acid because I it was so like. <laughs> different against the grain you know, right, against the right. grain. You know I was like who's going to smoke this shit <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I, I didn't take it in for about five years they, and, and, and we started getting so many calls for it I said 
okay, you know, where are we going to put it? It's going to stink up the rest of the cigars. We've got to segregate it. You could have probably invested uh, in and owned half the company early on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we, find, we finally took it in, and, you know, it, it's a giant seller. And, of course, they're under threat right now because they would be, under, under certain definitions, um, they are a flavored cigar. Um, and flavored cigars are being banned in in many localities, many states. So um, Swisher and and Drew Estate, I think, are going to be facing some major challenges uh, going forward. Which I find odd too, because they're also one of the people who really weren't supportive for a premium cigar exemption as well, which would have salvaged that part of their business. Well, I mean. Drew Estate has always been in favor of, uh, you know, exemption for premium cigars. Yeah, that was when they were Drew Estate. Now that Swisher's on, Swisher specifically is not, does not want a premium cigar exemption, which is detrimental to their flavored or infused line. But, you know, I never try to understand politics because, you know, they banned flavored cigarettes that we've been smoking menthol cigarettes or menthol cigarettes are still out all over the place. Right. That one got away with it. So who, who knows how these lobbyists work. But yeah. we're coming up to an end, Arthur. I really want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day. I know you had to take your daughter to a swim lesson, and you ended up taking time out to come and do our show today. I appreciate it. Yeah. And hopefully as things progress, you want I, I do have one more question shoot, just to close shoot, out. Yeah, sure. Arthur, in the closing of your letter, you did state, I do believe that anyone can say I have never broken my word. And if this isn't true, here's your chance. Has anyone come to you and asked, said that you've <laughs> broken your word? <laughs> No, I, I, mean, I think my reputation in the cigar industry, you know, precedes me, um, and I, I've never had problems, well, not in recent years, with, with credit, um, and uh, there have been a lot of um, manufacturers, small guys, like, let's say, uh, Dion of Illusioni, who said, you're the devil. But now we do business with 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 Dion. And, and oh, he, he loves said, you now. <laughs> no, he loves you now. He said, "You know, you you kept your word. You didn't break your word or your pricing on my product. And you know, I'm just sorry we didn't do business earlier because I listened to other people. But there's one one final thing that I would like to say. Yes, sir. That really really has. Um, me very very angry uh -oh. um, and it, it has to do um, and, and you're probably Abe in the same situation that 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 I'm in so if we break a price on a on a brand or a product within 15 seconds we, we have you know George on the line or uh, you know which George I mean, yeah. um, and he or he'll just stop shipping us. Um, now that's not true for a lot of the smaller guys because when I call the manufacturer and say, "But look what they're doing," I don't sell them. So, so they've lost control over how many people are allowed to jaywalk. And many, many people, like, they don't really care. 
because they're making sales. Mm-hmm. I get but those- famous smoke shop and the larger retailers, we're at a disadvantage because as soon as we do it, we get a call. That's problem one. Mm-hmm. Problem problem two is there are certain people in this industry that are manufacturers and are also internet sellers. Yeah, well, that's been going on for a long time. Yes, and they have they have brands, and they say you you can't discount my brand, but they break map pricing on everybody else's product. Sometimes they break it on their own. Yep. Um. Not the person that I have in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're here to name names. No, 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 no. I, I, I've seen, I, At this point, I'm not naming names, but maybe you could figure it out. <laughs> but um, I'm writing a letter about this because it's really unfair. And I, I had a conversation with Dave Garofalo about this, and his approach was, I just don't do business with that company anymore those companies and he says Arthur I have no problem with a company like you I don't buy from you yeah, right. you don't mm-hmm. buy from me right. you're not part of the problem and and I agree I'm not I'm not part of the problem I'm like the George Carlin why I don't vote um, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah can't be blamed Uh, It's like, you who vote, you're part of the problem. I I don't vote. I'm not part of the problem. (laughs) You're putting into office the people who, you know, suck. (laughs) Um, I'm not. So um, it's um, a major major issue for me um, that I in certain cases feel compelled to buy from companies that are underselling me on everything else. Well, I look forward to your next letter. I will be reading it. (laughs) And I I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And now that you're a fan of the show, (laughs) hopefully down the road as you write a few more letters, we could have you back on sometime to talk about it. Okay. No, I, I listened to you and I found your questions and your approach uh, respectful and that's why, and uh, I have felt respected during this phone call and not, not, not attacked. Um, so, yes, I'd be glad to, to do it again, and uh, I, I thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Good have job. A, have a great birthday tomorrow, my yeah, friend. Yeah, happy birthday. God happy bless. Birthday. Happy birthday, Arthur. Yeah. God thank bless. you for coming on. Arthur right. Zaretsky of Famous Smoke Shop. Best of luck, sir. We look forward to reading his next letter. Coming up soon. Coming up now. Coming up now, or hopefully in the next week, so we'll see what happens. Oh, I got the letter. I thought you were going to do... I thought oh. you were a break. It's not no. like you were taking a break. I was going to... No, okay, okay. Break. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye. Bye, Arthur. <laughs> I thought... Oh, you Colin didn't turn down the, Thank you, the thing on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... Uh, what, you want to hit that, that, or you want to no, talk to Coop? No, no. Talk a little bit, man. Okay, okay we'll, we'll talk to Coop. I, I got a feeling he was talking about Ashton. I just came out and said it. 
Uh, did he say it at the end? No, you did. Yeah, I, well, no, he I'm only guessing. I'm hypo- hy- hypothesizing. Well, you could, you could connect the dots with that. But I think, think. But I think. I, you know, they're 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 pretty much like one of the cul- well, of doing their own brands. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, they do everybody else's brand. I, I think they no, they make doing their own. Maybe Ashton. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. my guess. That was Ashton. Nice. Yeah. So uh, Coop seemed like it was a slow news cycle this week. Uh, well, there was a, going there, in there? there was actually some news that came out. This couple of stories that came out. Was that uh, the first time you've actually? Like conversed with Arthur? Yes, it has. And you know, I had I went into that interview thinking a little differently. I understand some of the things he come out with that as well. Listen now. to me, just like anybody else. Yeah. Like, like I mean, it's really funny because I, I've now had a few in depth conversations prior to this with Arthur, right? Right. And and I've known Lou for years. Right. They're good guys. They're good guys. Yeah. They're good guys. I mean, yeah, they're really good guys. I, I mean, I thought a little when he did the letter. To be honest with you, he was grandstanding at the point when the Big Four. You know, he timed that thing with the Big Four, but. You know, look. There's all the the I, issues he explained I, there. I, I I changed my. Opinion. It's one of those things. Right. Everybody has their own opinions, right. right? Is is ultimately their you know could the industry survive without them? Yeah. What will happen is, is there'll be a lot less manufacturers because guys won't have that outlet for right. the cash flow mm-hmm. to become really innovative yeah. and mm-hmm. figure out how to disperse product, but. But innovation is what makes people survive, right? Yeah. So, and I don't think consumption becomes necessarily less because consumers aren't going to buy less because there's no more internet catalogs. Now, what will happen is guys in Montana or South Dakota who are nowhere near a cigar shop, guess what what a smart person in that town does? (laughs) But but guess what happens then? Innovation says to somebody in the neighborhood, hey, I should open up a cigar shop out here. (laughs) All my neighbors can't buy cigars anymore. And that's what happens. Mm So, you know, I, I don't know if I, you know, kind of see it, but I think he's valid on his points. And everybody yeah, has, I think he does too, yeah. And everybody has their perspective yeah. on, on you know, what is good for their business, you know. And his business is our business. It's just a different model. It's a, you know, I don't, I don't try to compete with JR and Thompson's and Famous, Cigars International, that whole, because it, I, I can't compete with them on that clientele. So I have to compete in other ways. I'm I'm selective with brands that we sell most of that hey you know we can compete on price and then I try to beat them all up on service right you know I order regularly on a quarterly basis sometimes maybe half a year if we forget from all these guys I like to track how long it takes the package to get to me what it looks like when it gets here what's in it when it gets here so I can compete you know and and it's funny because you know, one of them tends to usually be the worst. <laughs> you know, statistically speaking, right? They've had their problems. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, one one of the we have we kind of I ain't gonna lie, we probably haven't done it in about a year. We're a little overwhelmed, but We've got a lot going on. One of, one of the, one of the better ones was, believe it or not, Jr. Jr. was very consistent and, and would always have stuff in the box packed very well. Right. And, Coupons for other random stuff. And, and who do you who do you think statistically we found to be the worst? I would say the the biggest CI. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I don't know where they are, but yeah, CI was the worst. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they had their issues. They were just my first. It was really funny because when um, Undercrown, no, when Dogma was first released, right, right, we we kind of had the, the lion's share because we were the first to work on it with the dojos, and then everybody else got a little bit. And then you know, one of my staff guys says, "Hey, you know, these guys got it up on site. How many did you get?" I said, "Dude, they they they're probably just fishing for emails." You know, they got 50 bundles. I mean, they're going to get like 5,000 requests on it. Right. So I actually made my... That's op- great lead gen. I actually, it is great lead gen. Yeah. So I actually made my operations manager order a box just ah, to see. If how it is. Did he then, get it? Well, hold on. He asked them, he asked them, when will the box be there? She goes, and this is the person answering the phone. I don't know. <laughs> Should be in the next couple weeks. 
So I can you imagine somebody calling my shop to place an order and not knowing to tell them that I don't know? And yeah. then and then because he did the order online, but I made him call to follow up because it didn't say when it was going to deliver, right. right? It says delivering soon. So then, literally, a month goes by. Oh, no. Never shows up. His card never got billed, right? And he calls, like, literally four to five weeks later, like, oh, no, that cigar is currently on back order. He never got the product. True story. True story. <laughs> you know, Abe, inter- kind of observing today, you know, we've always, there's this notion, internet is evil. But the guys you've had on, Lou Rothman, Craig Williamson, a few months ago. Now, yes. now Arthur, they've been some of the most interesting guests. Oh yeah, that that I agree. And and, and it, they did. It's I find I found that really interesting. Now here in Arthur today, join that club. You know? I, I'd love to go to lunch with him. And just yeah, have yeah. lunch. I mean, oh I mean, I, wow, this is yeah. like my first in depth like you know, yeah. two hour. Yeah, he's, he's got he's got stories. I mean, he's, <laughs> and he's and he's very uh, as you heard with the Marvin comments, he. <laughs> Got, yeah. all, got all the more respect for him. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I would never be that way. No. No. No, not the... <laughs> not Honest Dave, of course no. not. <laughs> so you were talking about the... You wanted to say something about the TPE or... I, I, a couple, I have a couple things. Yeah, so, right. uh, yeah, yeah. so can we talk about the I was right, you were wrong? Sure. Oh, boy. Are you talking about the t- Tobacco 25? Yeah. That was never my argument. I, call, I Who called it? I know, who called how, it on this show? How can I be wrong if I didn't say that it wasn't going to ever lead there? <laughs> oh, you just went down a bad I know, road, I don't know coop. why people just... refuse to listen to my argument. <laughs> my argument is just being, if you're going to do it, be consistent. Right. You want 18, make 18. Right, you right. want 21, right. 21. My opinion on the matter right. was, I think people at 21 are more mature level. Right. And it's probably a better age for all those things, whether it be dying for your country, whether it be getting married, whether it be voting, or whatever. I don't never said that they're not going to push yeah. to 25. Yeah. I never said that it should be 21 over 18. My point was, if you're going to pick a lane, pick it. Now You can't tell me I could die for my country, but I can't smoke a cigar. That's some bullshit. Right. Now right what do you, yeah, I mean, did you, were you surprised it happened that quick? I was surprised that it, some, some state actually proposed it that quick. They talked about it, I think, even before 18. Before they went to 21, there were talks about some states in 25. Yeah. I don't think it's new. It's just you know, it's news yeah. now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to yeah. say you were right, you were right. So I never <laughs> said it wouldn't go to 25. Okay, okay. We'll say that. Crazier stuff has yeah. been proposed about, in the in the uh, legal system. Yeah. Stuff. And it was another really, I mean, there was, I mean, we, the legislative stuff I always find is not too interesting. I meant to ask Arthur about the packaging law, and I forgot. That's a, that was, you want to say a win. That was a win for the cigar industry. That was huge. Because we never had anything struck from the regulations before. Yeah. Um, and it was, look, you got to give, you know, look. Now, it, you would know better than me, is is it on appeal? Yeah, it's, that's I mean, I, I'm going to assume they're going to appeal this. I think here's the thing, and this is a question I have to ask. I still think they can regulate something with a warning label, but they have to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, because how can you tell me yeah. this little warning on a pack of cigarettes <laughs> is about yay big on the side of the pack? They're, they're not is anywhere equivalent to what they're asking right. the cigar industry to yeah, do? Yeah, they're not going to be able to, to do this 30% rotating thing is what basically... Rotating, double side, right. front top, inside, how, side how, box, how, seven how, different labels. How about all the cigar companies that invested money in changing this packaging now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody it, everybody has like the, the changes in the boxes yeah. that have room for 30%. And, mm-hmm. I mean, a yeah. lot of those packaging changes we saw in the last few years were driven by this. I know. Thing. So that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I wonder, if a, I wonder if there's a viable lawsuit there. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Some lawyer will tell you. Exactly. I, I'm sure you yeah, can find a lawyer. Win, big win for now. Yep. We'll see what happens.
What else? Anything going on? Any, any other news or comments from the TPE? Or? Um, no, I mean, it was a pretty slow week. As far as TPE's over, I think most people, have, we talked a little last week about yeah. it. I think uh, people came out of that very positive on that. So um, that was, you know, I think. You think there'll be more of a presence of premium cigar people there next year? Definitely. Really? They're already they already have a lot of people signed up for next year. Um, really? That yeah. weren't signed up this year? That weren't signed up this year? Or you just mean re-signing? Of the well, the re-signing, but they're going to. Look, they have a whole year now, and there's people who didn't go this year. I think they're saying, you know what, we're going to take a look at this thing next year now. Okay. You know, I, I, I posed the question, what happens to TPE if PCA moves the show up in 2021? to like? Date? I don't, I, don't I don't think they can. I think they're already locked into a date for next year. At some point, but, the, but if, they wanna they? Try, if, if they're going to consider this a competitive threat, at some point, like, they can move this up, and then that, people are going to be forced to choose between two shows. Well, I think the premium cigar guys, if they're forced to to choose between two shoes, are going to have to go to the premium cigar industry. I think they're going to go too. I mean, they're, 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 yeah. I, mean I mean, look, strategically, there's no merger yeah. everywhere. That's, I think, the move that yeah. has to be done. Yeah. You know? But, but, I mean, how do you do that? You wait to register until the TPE, right? I mean, how yeah. do you align it that way on purpose? It's kind of hard. Yeah. yeah. I, do know. Know, I do know there were board meetings with the PCA going on in D.C. this week. The board was in mm. so, so I don't, but I you know, they don't tell us anything. I did but, see there were a few guys, interesting guys, that were posting that they were lobbying this week too. Yeah, yeah and they do that. I guess there was a Co- board meeting mm. concurrently with that. That's not a rumor, right? That's, no, that's, that's fact. fact. That's okay. fact. I'm just fact. making sure. Oh, I know. I thought I, know I caught that, you. I, I, the rumor would be if I told you I knew what was going on in that meeting, which I don't. <laughs> which, which I don't. Yeah, but but I do know there was. You know, I don't know if, it, but so. I can't imagine TPE not being a topic on the board of directors meeting with the PCA this week. Because there were board members out there. It, they should be. Yeah. It definitely yeah, should be. Th- yeah. So where are you going from here? Uh, I go back home, and then I'm back. Uh, I'm going to be back in Florida um, next week. Oh, you go, you're going two weeks. Two weeks. Well, two weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to Don't Pro Cigar. Don't freak me out. Don't freak me no, out. I'm going, to pro, I'm going to Pro Cigar before. Oh, I, uh, when do you work, dude? Between your eating extravaganzas <laughs> and your traveling <laughs> and your eight shows a week on he the radio... Only, most of his the, travel has been most of his travel has been outside the cigar industry. I've been doing okay. So the Denver trip, the Minnesota trip, and this trip was I had other business going on. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you would almost think so as much as he talks about food, right? I did. I did buy my ticket to the uh, Red Meat Lovers Club dinner. Did you go last year? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I forgot to do it. I'm like, oh, I better buy this now. It's, I, we're, it's we're gonna be off the chain. I this have year. news. Yeah. We're going to have a sampling of the food for the, the Red Meat Lovers Club cigar. Is that next dinner? weekend? Next weekend. Oh, that's Evan next, is that's coming in. Oh, man. And, and we can finally announce that Pete Johnson will be in studio as well with Evan. That's a miracle right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. You, we were talking about this outside. You didn't mention that part to me. <laughs> what did you think? He was calling in? <laughs> I think Pete oh, Johnson's oh. been... He, well, he's never been in this building, but he's no. been in the studio, he's been in the studio. One, yeah. before once, me. Once. Before me, yeah, and over, then over, other times he yeah. has called he's in. Called when I've in. Been well, here. he's also been in the store when we did it live from the store. You know what? A few times. I'm going to bring a bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. is Ooh. he a wine drinker? Oh, <laughs> are you kidding what? me? Uh, what? Really, Paul? Yeah, he has, he has a wine. He has a wine. He has a wine. All right. In fact, I didn't get mine for Christmas. Let me tell you, the wine we had Usually it. Usually, he sends me a nice. Oh. Yeah, he I tell you, the wine is good. You know what? I, I've never had it. You know what? I shouldn't say that because he may have. Uh, yeah, you don't know. No, no, it gets delivered to me. I bring it home because my wife looks for it to it every year. I have to. Oh, ask. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to. I have to ask her this year because you know I, I've been a little <laughs> clutter brained <laughs> lately. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've been a little clutter brained lately. 
So I, I, before I, I shouldn't <laughs> say that, so because he may have done it, so I have to ask. My hey, wife would know because she'd remember drinking. Can it. Can we know. before we go to this other thing? I just want to, Coop. I, have you noticed your your laugh drop that Colin plays? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. I said, that's a better me than me. I say. <laughs> It's been like his new you thing recently. If you can't laugh at yourself and what you do. Yeah. Right. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't even have to laugh at myself now. That's classic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, should we see who belongs to the Cigar yeah, Insane Asylum? belongs to the cigars. Welcome to the Cigar Asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. <laughs> <laughs> this week, who belongs in a cigar insane asylum? Brought to you by CLE and Asylum Cigars. <laughs> All right, this week, let's see. This this week's inductee is a hypocrite in the purest form. Oh yeah, this guy, Leland Yee. You know who Leland Yee is? Okay, Leland. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had risen. No, do you or don't? I don't. Oh, because he just made some news the other day. Oh, yeah. He had risen steadily in the ranks of the Bay Area politics since the late 80s when he was elected to San Francisco, elected to the San Francisco School Board. From 2006 onward, he has served as a state senator and was plotting a secretary of the state campaign when his political visions were curtailed by a federal indictment that came down in 2014. This past Wednesday, he received a five-year prison sentence for accepting bribes and trafficking in arms. Now, just so you know, he was also one of the... Well, that's what's okay. the next... Go, go to the I would have started sentence. with that first. Yeah. I know. I know you, you were going to say that. stink at writing. You court records. After initially denying culpability, he pleaded guilty to the charges last summer. Court records show that he agreed to perform certain official acts in exchange for a mayoral campaign and later Secretary of State campaign donations. He also discussed buying weapons overseas and bringing them to the U.S. with two associates and an undercover agent, of course. He accepted $6,800 and a list of arms to purchase in the Philippines, right? The maneuver is not only legal, but also in stark contrast to what he had long been reported to stand for. Lee told CBS two years before he was arrested, it is extremely important that individuals in the state of California do not own assault weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is just so crystal clear. There is no bait, no discussion. Unless you're bringing them in, talk about cornering yeah. cornering the market for yourself. Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, he was creating his own demand. Uh, yeah, yep. this guy's a genius. <laughs> Holy cow! As a legislator, he supported strict gun control laws and was named to the Brady Campaign Gun Violence Prevention Honor Roll. Wow, the Brady Campaign! Yes, congratulations, oh, Mr. Yee, on finally getting what's coming to you. You are without a doubt this week's inductee in the Cigar Insane Asylum. Brought to you by CLE. An asylum cigars. How you like that one? There you go. Gotcha, you sneaky little bastard. <laughs> Do you like study that on weekends during the week to find cool no. clips? I should. I'd be better. <laughs> You're pretty on point, man. You're pretty on point. All right, man. Uh, it's a good show. Great yeah, show. Good thanks job, to man. Arthur Zareski. Thanks to William Seriously, Cooper. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Always love oh, having appreciate, you. Yeah. Always Coop, a yeah. pleasure to have so you. So much better in person. No, I appreciate it. Yep. Absolutely. But next it, time. Bring a hoagie, damn it. And Juan Cancel said that uh, without a doubt. Who cares what Juan Cancel says? Juan who? Juan, Juan Cancel. He said you look better than uh, Schmokini on camera. He literally not, posted he, that. He, he it was weird. He didn't invite me to go in the booth uh, and, and model at PCA this year, though. <laughs> <laughs>
Throwing one over the bow. Anyway, let's get out of here. Next week, Pete Johnson of Totoya Cigars and Evan Darnell of the Red Meat Lovers Club. We're going to talk about the Red Meat Lovers Club dinner. The epic dinner. Tickets may still be available. There are still some tickets available, yes. But very few. You might want to go buy them now. I snagged mine. Yeah, who bought one today? You're going to miss out if you don't go. And you'll be the first in the country to try the new extension of the uh, Anarchy series, The Chaos. Yes. The Totoya Anarchy Chaos. And... The Pale Horse, which is a cigar we don't know if or when it will ever be released, but you'll need oh. to have one of those. We just yeah. have to stay on Pete with that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try and uh, weasel out some answers from him next Ball's week. Yes. Oh, yes. Till then, and as always, keep it lit. You're listening to KMA Talk Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Instagram, too. Yes, it's mandatory. <laughs> cigar fairies making round. Yeah, that's fantastic. Keep it lit with KMA Talk Radio.